21st century has seen an interesting trend in recent years. Everyone today appears to be fascinated by one particular phenomenon. Like a wildfire, this allure for the macabre spread slowly at first, but quickly gained ground. And it's not just here in America. Peoples from all over the world are enthralled with the idea. Psychologists and house moms alike find themselves asking the same questions. How could someone ever do something so horrible? But as history has shown us time and again, serial killers are far more prevalent and far more subtle than we might like to think. Everyone has either read or heard about Jack the Ripper, a faceless, nameless darkness haunting the streets of London in 1888. He killed five women that year, and to this day, his identity remains a secret. And then there was Dr. H. H. Holmes, whose murder hotel during the Chicago World's Fair is estimated to be the site of at least 27 murders. Even I'm not immune to the serial killer craze. Long-time listeners of this show will remember that the very first episode told the story of Diogo Alves, a killer in Portugal responsible for the deaths of over 70 people. All three of those cases happened relatively recently, when compared to the age of the Earth. And even though the term serial killer wasn't used until the 1970s, when the FBI's Behavioral Science Unit started interviewing the most notorious killers of the day in an effort to understand them better, humans have been murdering each other since civilization began. Ever since the very first humans, depending on your beliefs. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to take you back, all the way to the beginnings of recorded history. To the period ironically known as the most peaceful period ever. Because even in an exceptionally bright light of early civilization, you can still find a pocket of darkness. I'm Aiden Maine. This is Haunting Historia. It was called Pax Romana, though that is a bit of a misnomer. The term roughly translates from its original Latin to Roman peace, and refers to a 200-year period in Roman history characterized with never-before-seen peace amongst the nations of the Empire. But that's not to say that there weren't any wars or revolutions during that time. In fact, the killer we're focusing on today stood at the center of one of the most deadly plots of the time. Her name was Locusta. Born in what is now France, she spent her early years as an avid student of herbology. Before long, she discovered that herbs and medicines held the power not only to heal, but to harm as well. And she decided to put her knowledge to work for her. During this period of history, violent murder was considered uncivilized, so the elites of Rome resorted to other, more subtle measures to eliminate the competition and climb the ladder of society. Lacusta and other peddlers of poison gladly took to this new demand and made fistfuls of gold in the process. But businesses selling and dealing death have a way of burning out quickly, and Lacusta found herself looking at an execution through the bars of a cell. Socrates wrote, From the deepest desires often come the deadliest hate. Enter Agrippina the Younger. Empress of Rome, and wife of Emperor Claudius. 
Their marriage wasn't what you would call a happy one, and she wanted more than anything for her son to ascend to his birthright just a little sooner. She sought out Lacusta in her cell and made a deal with her. In exchange for giving Agrippina a poison that would kill her husband in a seemingly innocent way, she would grant Lacusta a royal pardon and save her life. Lacusta readily agreed. When faced with a choice of execution or freedom, who wouldn't? True to her word, Lacusta provided Agrippina with two poisons. The first, sprinkled over Emperor Claudius' preferred food of mushrooms, was not meant to kill him. Rather, she meant only to give the emperor a severe stomach ache. Claudius doubled over in immense pain, and his dutiful wife rushed to his aid. Suspecting he might be suffering from poison, she made a show of using a peacock feather to attempt to get him to throw the substance back up. But it was nothing more than a clever bit of showmanship. Lacusta coated the feather beforehand in a more deadly poison. Agrippina delivered the fatal dose, all while appearing to help. Emperor Claudius died, and their son, Nero, took the throne as the new Roman Emperor. Agrippina kept her end of the bargain, freeing Lacusta from her prison with a royal pardon from Nero. One would expect her to live the rest of her life without any further incident. After all, she had the blessing from the Empress of Rome, and her status as a poison master was near legendary. But this was a woman who reveled in death. Instead of merely providing poisons to clients, Lacusta enjoyed killing. She once again found herself locked in a cell, staring at her own death. And once again, she would be saved from execution. The Queen of Poison, known for providing the toxin used to kill Emperor Claudius, was once again needed by a member of the royal family. Emperor Nero knew that his mother had conspired with Lacusta to kill his father and grant him the throne early. And like Agrippina before him, he possessed a conniving and murderous soul. He approached Lacusta and requested her assistance in killing his 13-year-old brother, Britannicus. Being paranoid that his brother would attempt to acquire the throne in much the same way as he did, Nero decided to strike preemptively. Again, Lacusta agreed. Britannicus, however, was no fool. He tested everything that he ate or drank on a servant first. In order to trick him into taking the toxin, Nero had to first convince him that it was safe. Romans frequently added hot water to wine in order to warm and dilute it. During a large dinner party, Nero gave Britannicus wine with too hot water in it. The tester, as always, drank first and determined it was not poisonous. But Britannicus wished to cool it down. He unthinkingly added a touch of cold water to the wine, cold water laced with Lacusta's poison. The young boy writhed on the ground in front of a crowd of onlookers. But since he suffered from epilepsy, Nero instructed no one to aid him, insisting the seizure would pass. Britannicus died in his bed later that night. Lacusta, meanwhile, received her second royal pardon, and Nero even set her up with a large estate and a vast fortune. 
He also allowed her to establish a school for her to spread her knowledge of poisons. But when Nero ultimately fled in disgrace, a story in and of itself if you're unfamiliar, Locusta's somewhat supernatural luck finally ended. The new emperor, Galba, rounded up the favorites of the old regimes and marched them naked through the streets to their execution. Locusta's punishment, according to the most famous accounts, is too graphic and disturbing for me to recount here. Suffice it to say, the imagery sticks with you. But her students were not arrested. Galba, it seems, only wanted the first lady of murder. They went their separate ways, taking her teachings with them. This episode of Haunting Historia was written and produced by me, Aiden Main, with music by John Bjork. If you're like me, fascinated and drawn to the dark and twisting areas of history that don't often get attention, then join me here for each exciting episode of this podcast. After all, as Marcus Garvey once said, a people without the knowledge of their past history, origin, and culture is like a tree without roots. (laughs) 